Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where, when you're a terminally ill teen, sure, you could accept the much-needed love and support and attention of your loving boyfriend, but wouldn't it be simpler to just break up with him and die alone and in pain? Book number 12, When Love Dies. What terrible secret is Trisha keeping from Steven? Hi, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today is my friend, Katie Ledoux. Welcome, Katie. Hi. Katie and I are friends from graduate school. We're both masters. Uh, Can I say, like, first time... Uh, caller, longtime listener. <laughs> you did say that. I love it when people say that. We're here today to talk about book number 12, When Love Dies. I do love, like, a good tragic love story. Mm-hmm. Love my Titanic and atonement and all that stuff. Yeah, and I think that this particular book, When Love Dies, right up there with Titanic, atonement, right below, just a close third. Oh, like, critically, quality-wise, yes, definitely. That's exactly what I meant when I said those two things. This was your first Sweet Valley High novel, correct? Yes, it was. Yes. Now, you are, of all of my friends, probably, like, the biggest expert in, like, TV shows of all time, but especially teen drama type things is really your bread and butter, I feel like. It is my life's passion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, I'm, that's what I meant to say. It's your life's passion. Yes. Uh, so, did you ever watch the Sweet Valley High TV series? I think that was a little before my time. I'm not even exactly sure when that was on, but I think it was a little before, because I don't remember it being on. Well, someday, many years from now, I will be all the way through all of these Sweet Valley High novels, and I'll have many choices of where to go. You know, Sweet Valley University, Sweet Valley Uh. Twins, but maybe... We could watch the TV show. So uh, let's start out right off the bat. Let's talk a little bit about the cover of book number 12, When Love Dies. I I just want to say that I didn't really look at the cover before I read it and only looked at the cover afterwards. And the cover has Trisha and Steven on it. And I just, based on what I read in the descriptions, I did not anticipate this is what Trisha looked like. So we're talking Steven Wakefield, the Wakefield twins, very handsome older brother, Carmen Copy of Ned Wakefield, only a little bit younger, mm, not blonde, mm. because the mom is blonde, the girls are blonde, dad is brunette, son has to be brunette. It happens. It absolutely happens. But this just the like just even distribution right, right. of that. I think it, yeah. But this is sort of like the Ken and Barbie school of like, yeah. like mom and dad, where you know the he does very much look like a Ken doll on the cover. He does. Yeah, he's got a nice jaw. His just like a jawline that could cut head. glass, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Trisha Martin, his girlfriend, who in the last book we had learned she was being very standoffish. She wasn't uh, mm. like answering his calls and stuff. And yeah, in this book, she's wearing. A ridiculous blouse. I thought it was maybe even like a nightgown from like the early turn of the century era. Yeah. She does have strawberry blonde hair. On the cover, it looks like she's a straight up redhead. Yeah, you're right. The book often describes Trisha Martin using two words. I actually, I looked it up. I I read the Kindle edition of this book, which is nice because it meant that I could do a global search to see how many times Trisha was referred to as sweet and delicate. 
And yeah. the number was three, three times. You say porcelain like, I think, at one point. She was like very porcelain doll like. She's just, Trisha is like bony like a bird and defenseless <laughs> all the time. And Stephen, when he thinks longingly of her, thinks primarily of his desire to protect her from the mm. world because a sweet and delicate creature like Trisha oh, needs to be protected. Oh, I mean, like, no other male character in a teen drama has ever had a white knight syndrome. <laughs> That's never a thing Very that happens. Yeah. Well, uh, so I think that's all. All that's happening is Stephen is looking at the back of Trisha's head, and they're both staring off into the distance. Trisha resolutely, Stephen with a look of real confusion on his face. Like, Trisha, what the fuck? Right? Also, I mean, I'm just going to say this. Like, she's got a mullet. Like, <laughs> kind of looks like a mullet Stephen in a weird way. Curly. But it's just, like, the kind of, like, real short and then kind of chopped back and then long in the back, but it's, like, pushed back. So it kind of looks like a mullet. You know? In a weird way. Listeners weigh in. Does Trisha Martin have a mullet? Shannon, I'm talking to you. Hit me up on Twitter. (laughs) I'm just not into it. I'm just not into her hair. That's the point. The point is I'm not into her hair. No, no. It's not a great look, but it is very of the era, the 1980s. I, this book is from, I'm going to check the inside cover. It is from 1984. Man, you would have thought we'd been further into the 80s by now. 1984. Okay, so. But she's a good person. She's a great person. So, it doesn't matter. A little bit too great, as we'll find out. Too great for her own good. Yeah, it sounds like. So, let's get into the story here. Uh, The book starts, and Jessica comes home, and Stephen is basically crying at the kitchen table. Um, Yeah, so, uh, and again... Never read one of these books before, so all very much like first impressions of things that they're saying. Uh, I found it very odd that they make a comment about the fact that sometimes Stephen can't tell his sisters apart, <laughs> which, uh, depending on whether a lot of the listeners out there know a set of identical twins, if you do, once you like, especially if you're very close to them, you can tell them apart. Like, I had two friends growing up, like, most of my life, they were a pair of identical twin sisters. But, like, after you got to know them, you were like, oh, oh my god, they're totally different people. And like, they even look different to you after a while. And that definitely applies to Elizabeth and Jessica. Like, yeah. They dress differently, they talk differently, they, they walk differently. Just, know. like, their face. Like, you start being like, oh, no, they are different. Like, I can see it. Like, just, I don't know. If you know people well enough, you can see differences. Right. So I thought that was very weird that they would claim. Like, they didn't claim it all the time, but they're like, when he gets agitated, sometimes he can't tell them apart. And I was like, no. Well, he's definitely agitated. Oh, that's for sure. Point. Yeah, yeah. He's been calling. He's home from college, Sweet Valley College. I don't know how that's true. I I know, yeah. And it must be very close by. Yes, he comes home almost every weekend, partly to see his girlfriend, Trisha Martin. Yes. Now, it must have come across to you very early, Jessica's feelings about the Martin family in general. Yes. Um, Her feelings were, like, borderline hysterical to me because all of her feelings were like you mean like hysterical ha-ha or hysterical like she's a totally crazy woman? I mean, more like hysterical, like, ridiculous um just based on the fact that like the things that she says are like the things that like every dramatic like parent in like a kind of younger like 
teen-oriented thing says, or in every, like, star-crossed lover story, like, all the things that a parent says to a kid about their significant other was stuff Jessica was saying to her brother. And I was like, this, like, why is she saying these things that would normally only, you would only hear out of the mouth of a parent, the, like... That girl's no good. She mentioned Jessica mentions yeah. So the problem yeah, that, that kind of stuff with the Martin family is that they're all trash. Yeah, and the that comes up many times in this book. But Jessica also many times in this book references her concern about the Wakefield family reputation. But she yeah. says at one point that she's the only one who cares about it. Yeah. Well, her literal uh, "I knew she'd turn out to be nothing but trouble," and I was like. Is that a thing? A sister says to a brother about his girlfriend? Like, I feel like that's a thing a parent would say to a kid about, like, you know, your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, you know. Yeah, somewhere in here. I I thought it was an odd reaction from a sibling, uh, but it became very clear to me very quickly that Jessica Wakefield is very severe and says things that are just bonkers. We've seen this before in Jessica's reaction to Elizabeth's uh, relationship drama. What's happening with Stephen is that he's having a hard time getting a hold of Trisha. She's not taking his calls. And she knows that she always, they kind of have a standing date. They're not just like a casual couple. They're like in love. Yeah. And so he's really broken up about it. In general, sure. It's helpful to, if you're, um, you have illusions about your significant other, it can be yeah. helpful to hear the truth. Yeah. But when you're sad about your significant other, it can also be really helpful to hear, like, you know, it's probably not as bad as you think. Like, this yeah, yeah. Jessica would never do that. She goes straight to, oh, you're worried that so-and-so is cheating on you? Yeah, she's probably cheating on <laughs> yeah. you. Or, or Stephen doesn't even worry that Trisha's cheating on him. In fact, that's he's true, sure true. that Trisha's not cheating on him. Yeah. But... Jessica suggests that she probably is because her sister's a whore, so her sister Betsy is a slut. Yeah, man, they slut-shamed Betsy real hard. So Betsy is um, a slut. That's Trisha's sister. Uh, I don't even like to use the word, but she's... she's, They said she'd be pregnant by graduation. Oh, and... Their father is a famed alcoholic. So Stephen actually rules first off in this book, right after Elizabeth and Jessica kind of give him, like, sort of opposite sorts of advice. He rushes over to the Martin's house and, like, bangs on the door to see Trisha. Mm. And when he opens the door, he sees Mr. Martin, like, swaying back and forth with a can in his hand. Um, they describe the book. Let me see if I. Can I love it here. the extre- the just like they're trying to let you know how just like bleak and horrible where she lives is. And at one point after um, it's after Stephen leaves Trisha's bedroom, they say she like flops back on the bed and looks up at the bare light bulb on the <laughs> yes, ceiling. And I was exactly. like, oh my. God, such a characteristic of just bleakness. Like, I get that you're poor, but do some arts and crafts for God's just sake. Just like, oh God, you a, a light bulb, you bare, can a lampshade out of a gallon jug. That's yeah, what you do in, in the third world to add more light to a room. Yeah, when there are holes in the oh ceiling. You can do it too. But okay, so I, have the, I have the quote here. I found it about what it looks like when Stephen pulls up in chapter two. His headlights picked up the gleam of discarded cans and broken glass that littered the weeds alongside the uneven road. He pulled to a stop in front of a shabby frame house with peeling paint. Trisha's house. As always, he experienced a pang at the thought. Sweet, lovely Trisha deserved much better than this. 
but he had never once heard her complain about it. So that's her horrible house that Trisha is, uh, you know, damsel in distress prisoner of. And, and um, she, as like the only stable member of her family, her mother has died, takes care of her drunk father, who I guess probably doesn't have a job. It's yeah. a tough life for Trisha. And yeah. Stephen really enjoys being the bright spot in Trisha's life. But not for long, because Trisha, who is like, <laughs> I am going out of town this weekend, Stephen. I forgot to tell you. <laughs> that coughs are the sound of her um, yeah. Her pretending that she's not sick. Uh, yeah, and I... Uh, I mean, there is one, I, I can't remember if it's in this moment, he makes this, oh, well, she must be going out of town he for the, that to her. yeah, about, she must like, be going out of town for the weekend with a guy, and I was like, what Actually, high school student I had the same thought. can go away with a guy for the weekend? I had the same thought. So Jessica's in his head, he's like, oh, you're going out of town for the weekend? It's, you met someone else, that's it, isn't it? You're going away with him for the weekend? I had the same thought, like... Adults go away with their yeah. significant for the weekends. Seventeen-year-old girls do not go no. away with their new boyfriends for a weekend, no. unless. I mean, it's I like I guess know. if you'd be like, I could see people that were like extremely wealthy and they're like their parents are never around and they just do whatever they right. want. Never but even ever. still, like at least their significant other would have to be older. They would have to like pay for things and do things that they couldn't do. No, I guess never say never. I'm sure. Yeah, happens, yeah. I think that. It's not definitely not in this. No, no, and nobody I knew could have gotten away with that in high school. (laughs) Me too. Nobody. Uh, So, pretty quickly, that escalates into them kind of saying, like Stephen confronting her about having been so distant, and Mm -hmm. she's like, "This is it, isn't it?" And he's like, "What's it?" Like, yeah, what are you talking about? And they basically have a, a sort of a weird mutual breakup, like it's better this way, but they're both super pissed off about it. And heart, not just pissed off, but they're they're both like clearly heartbroken, but they like break up anyway. Yeah, dating anymore because they're there's something that Trisha's not telling Stephen, and she won't tell him. Instead, she's just like, "Go away." I was certain she was pregnant. Uh-huh. I was certain, and I, I and also again, this just plays into like I'm going to say this like a million more times in this episode, which is I've seen this play out in a very similar manner on um, different TV shows or in different, like, teen movies when, you know, the girlfriend gets pregnant and she doesn't think the boyfriend wants to deal with it when they're in high school, that she, like, tries to break up with him. She tries to go at it alone. She tries to, whether that means, like, leaving town with the kid or giving it up for adoption or having an abortion without telling him. And I thought, that's what's going on here. Yeah, understandable. Yeah. But you are disabused of this notion very quickly because right in in Chapter 2, suddenly we have this big perspective switch into Trisha's head. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a strange moment because later on in the book, there's a big moment when this reveal could have been, it could have been kept from us and it would have been shocking. Yeah, that's true. What we're about to find out from Trisha. Elizabeth sees Trisha later on in the book and we'll bring it up when we get there. But instead of holding off the suspense until the second half of the book, (laughs) the book decides to tell us what's going on, what Trisha's secret is right now. And if you will indulge me, may I do a little bit of a, of a reading? That's what here? I was going to say. I, I want the bluntness of this reveal out of nowhere. Just like, I, I want them to understand. Oh, and I guess, I kind of seriously, I was thinking about during this book, like, trigger warning if... I, yeah, I guess, yeah. Or terminal illness. 
for this whole episode. Sure. The, I, Trigger warning for a lot of things. <laughs> like, yeah, I was very, I, I would have been more sad. This seems like it should have been a very sad book. Yeah. Instead, it's not that sad because it's so ham-fistedly handled that it's kind of funny. Also, they don't spend that awful much time with, with the story that you would deem the more important right. one. Right. As you will see, listeners, yeah. when, we, when we get to how thin the story is. But... Yeah. Maybe they just felt like they couldn't spend that much time talking about it because it was just yes, too funny. As you'll see. So, yeah. <clears throat> this is right after Trisha flops on her bed underneath her bare light bulb. Mm-hmm. Trisha could still hear the doctor's words echoing in her mind. We'll do everything we can, but with treatment, perhaps six months. She hadn't believed it then, but she had finally begun to accept it. Leukemia. Such an ugly, awful-sounding word. It had haunted her most of her life ever since her mother had died of it. Trisha had been nine at the time, but she could still remember those dark, horrible days, the dim bedroom smelling of medicine, her mother's gaunt face against the pillow. Her mother had always been so cheerful and full of smiles, but in the end, she had wasted away to a dull-eyed skeleton. When she died, it was as if light had gone out of their lives especially her husband's. I'd like to make a note that that part about the skeleton eye thing yeah. is a popular highlight in the Kindle version of this book. That's so, so weird. What the fuck, readers? That's so weird. Oh, uh, that's so, I so unbelievably tragic. So I actually because it goes on from there. Yeah. But um, we have, this is actually significant backstory to the Martin family. Yeah. And I'm give the book, writer of the book some credit. Yeah, because uh, it explains why the father's an alcoholic, right. why the sister has it no direction. Yeah. dad didn't even really start drinking until the mom yeah. died. Yeah. And he looks at the mom's photos a lot. And uh, Trisha says later on in the book uh, that... His, her dad and her sister are basically in denial yeah. about the fact that she's dying yeah. and are talking, just still talking about what they're going to do to cure her. Trisha, on the other hand, is totally given up and is yeah. sure that she's going to die. She seems to have some sort of like supernatural kind of knowledge, which is is a thing that happens sometimes. I think with it's also a thing that's very popular in in fiction in general. Like anytime a character knows they're going to die, that character kind of becomes like magical. It mm-hmm. just turns into that character oh, becomes like. like Oh, they're just like aware of things, and they're just so much like deeper and more in touch with things, and like you know, a lot of that's total just fiction and magic on top of whatever. But I mean, to a certain degree, I think just you know when you go through hell stuff, anyways, like even if you don't die from it, or even if it's not fatal or whatever, you do become very introspective, and you very and you examine things, and you walk away from it thinking, like, I have insight on things that maybe other people don't. Yeah. I think that that was believable, even though there was no real talk in the book of Trisha ever having tried to... Yeah. Yeah. Like, did she do anything to... But, you know... Also, I think you... I think the issue would be, like, how long she's had it for. Like, I think if we're going to touch on anything it's very obvious that i'm going to mention the fault in our stars like that that was going to happen um but you know the her character and you know the main character in fall are in a similar place kind of emotionally but the main character in the fall in our stars has had cancer for years and she has been basically stage four for years whereas like this girl it's like it's brand new and she just seemed to, like, immediately be like, yep, that's it, okay, I'm done. 
Well, I mean, if we're going to get real about this, which I guess why not? Yeah. Listeners probably are not aware. My own mother died of cancer when I was 15, and she died of a rare form of breast cancer. And while I hope to live a long and happy life, I'm realizing more and more as I get older, Mm -hmm. um, it's been almost 20 years now, that there is like this weird little part of my head where there's a part of me that is afraid that the same thing is going to happen to me. Yeah. Like... I mean, I don't know how there could not be, but especially because of the way that it was, like, so sudden and unpredictable. Yeah. It was, like, uh, that's something that I think has colored my entire life. Like, not just... And I've always thought of it as being the fact that I know what loss is. I know about death and trauma. Like, that that has made me have this, like, uh, sometimes mostly good and sometimes a little bit bad, like, zest for, like, trying to get the most out of life. Yeah. And awareness of, of the fleetingness of life, which I think is good. But... I always thought that that was because I'd experienced loss. But yeah. I've been starting to think a little bit more that part of it might be because... And reading this book actually reminded me yeah. of this a little bit. So I guess it's maybe... Yeah. Maybe this whole experiment is uh, more real than I realized. Uh, that part of it may be a little bit of me not fully trusting my own... Longevity? Like, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I say that not... I don't, I don't have, I'm not crying, like, I don't have this. Yeah, no, yeah, I understand, yeah. This is, it's not like I feel like I'm going to die, but there's a little, a little voice in the back of my head sometimes that's like, well, this could happen to you, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, obviously I didn't know you then when you were in high school, but when I was in college, my best friend in college, I watched her mom get cancer, I watched her deal with it, I watched her mom die within the course of the time, you know, and I watched her go through the same thing and it was also breast cancer and the idea that she could end up with it and she could actually be tested for the gene and she chose not to be and still chooses not to be tested for it. She doesn't want to know. So, which I guess is all just to say, we definitely don't, I mean, not only to say, but among other things, we definitely do not, neither of us come to this with a callous attitude towards death, dying, no, 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 illness uh, yeah. at all. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot more we could say about that, but instead, let's talk about this yeah. dumb talk. <laughs> so, I didn't know this was going to be a very special episode of uh, Well, I think the, the very easiest thing to go with is the ridiculousness of Jeremy Frank. Okay, let's get into the So B-plot. many levels. I actually kind of love this B-plot and... As much as it's so stupid because it's such fluff compared to the yeah, that's true. Yeah, of the main story, but they're interconnected in this beautiful way. Jessica hears from mm-hmm. her friend Kara Walker, who, by the way, is super excited that Stephen is single. You know, so Stephen and Trisha have broken up, and mm-hmm. and Jessica's just on the prowl for her brother. Yeah, and um, when her friend Kara comes up and talks to her and just like moons over her brother and she's like oh this is great we're gonna put you two together you Karen's know got all the hot gossip so yeah she has true actually a lot of like housekeeping that's being done right now first of mm-hmm. all there's a new family moving into town there's already two rich families in town but there's about to be an even richer third family of course they're gonna move into the the grayson mansion or something yeah like and they're, this is the Morrow family. The Morrow mm-hmm. family, which uh, readers of the series... The Godfrey Mansion. The Godfrey Mansion. I had uh, that, right? My, my notes. become major players in Sweet Valley. As you might imagine, yes. if you're a rich family, you're going to be important in the Sweet Valley High series. The other hot piece of gossip that Kara is having is that uh, Jeremy Frank 
is in the hospital with a yes. broken leg. Now, who is Jeremy Frank? You may be wondering. So was I. <sighs> Jeremy Frank is inexplicably the largest celebrity that they seem to like moon over, except that he's basically like a local news or like he has like he, a daily talk show or something which frankly speaking. yeah which realistically would have probably been on like either pbs or like you know you're kind of like local broadcast well, network know. maybe sweet valley's not too far from la so maybe but he's local. Like, they make that yeah. very clear. True. So, Jessica, hearing that he's in, Jeremy Frank's in the hospital and seeing stars in her eyes, and she also has the total hots for Jeremy Frank. Because he's, 20s. like, gorge. Yes. Beyond. <laughs> so, at this point, Jessica cooks up a scheme uh, that she's going to convince Elizabeth that the two of them should be candy stripers mm-hmm. at Bowler Memorial Hospital because that is the way that Jessica's going to get in Jeremy Frank's pants. Jessica walks into. Elizabeth's room and says, uh, Jessica gave a huge sigh and announced, Life has no meaning. That's her opening gambit. Life yeah, has no meaning. yeah, yeah. And Elizabeth, who really like is so over all of Jessica's bullshit and yeah. everything's bullshit yeah. in this book, which I loved. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth is like, What? Like, what's your yeah. deal? Why are you talking? What are you talking about? Also, she's the opposite of that in every way because she believes, like, her life and their life is just fabulous, yeah. fantastic, and she's amazing and incredible. And then for her to be like, life has no meaning is just diametrically <laughs> opposed to everything you know of her. I guess she just, so she, her idea is she's going to convince Elizabeth that it only matters to live in this life if you're giving back to the world, which I think is a great perspective to have. Just not one that she has. Not one that Jessica actually has. <laughs> Let's but be clear on that. She convinces Elizabeth uh, and admits that part of the reason that she needs Elizabeth to do it too is because Elizabeth is allowed to drive the car more often than Jessica is. Yes, which brought me to the point that they talk about, like, relatively that this family has money and that how fabulous they are and Jessica, you know, going on about how fabulous and fantastic they are. And yet they make mention of Jessica riding the bus home from school. But I also think that the Whitfields are supposed to be kind of like upper middle class, even yeah. though their house is described here. It's just like compared to the Martins, they have yeah. a lot of money. But they, they have this, the Fiat Spider that the girls drive around. The family has probably two if not three cars already because I feel like so yeah I feel like the girls should have had a car I think I feel like financially it would have made sense well, for the girls to have, have a car. they, they just don't they, have it every day yeah they, they, they usually are driving to school in their Fiat but oh okay. at any rate the Elizabeth agrees eventually that, like you know what it will be good to give back to the community yeah. and they go get these jobs as candy strippers to the hospital Elizabeth loves it right away even though yeah. she was the one talked into it Jessica hates it. And the book describes her first day how she's in the maternity ward. She hates babies. She hates it. And the book weirdly describes it as, in the in this way the book does, where you're getting inside Jessica's head as things are being described. Yeah. But it goes from bad to worse. The first thing is that she gets handed a bag of dirty diapers to throw away. And then the worst is that she's forced to look at babies and pictures of them. Yeah. Which is like, really? It's, is that really Well, terrible? I also think a uh, little part that I thought was like real nifty of them to include was that Elizabeth thought that there was a possibility that this was all about Jessica's recent fascination with love story 
because they had watched Love Story together <laughs> and that Jessica just like obsessed over it and then proceeded to basically feign illness for a while on guys so that they'll like hit on her like take pity on her and she would like fake pass out and get them to catch her until finally she did to one guy and he was just like oh my god gross like are you sick am i gonna catch it like and then she stopped and i'm like you're a ridiculous human person if you're doing that. <laughs> like, that's such an extreme thing. Well, so Elizabeth, meanwhile, actually gets to go to Jeremy Frank's room. That's just the word she's assigned to. Yeah. And she starts talking with them, and she's not Star Trek. She doesn't give a shit. She's yeah. just going to treat him like a normal person. When she reports back to Jessica about this, Jessica is livid. Livid. And she's like, I think I need to be transferred out of my ward. Um, I think it's contagious. And this is, mm. I thought this was such a funny line from Elizabeth. Gosh, I hope it isn't contagious. You did say it was the maternity ward. Yeah. Oh, God, I missed that. Which was a good, uh, a good quip. Also, the, um, there's a part right when the two of them are walking into the hospital for the first time that's the most dramatic thing if you're not familiar with everything that's happened throughout the course of the series, which is as they're walking into the hospital, it says, like, Elizabeth is reminded of the time she was in a horrible accident and nearly died and was in a coma for six months. And Jessica is reminded of Annie Whitman's suicide attempt that she was probably at fault for. And it was like, whoa! I'm so glad glad you mentioned that because it was this moment. I always complain on the show about how there's no trauma in Sweet Valley. Yeah! But this was this one fleeting moment where they pulled into the hospital and they both, it describes them both sitting in the car silently for a moment. And like, they're not talking about it, but in their heads, they're both thinking of something terrible that has happened at this hospital the last time they were there. Jeremy Frank is in the hospital. This is where though, the the fact that the girls are suddenly spending so much time in the hospital is important because uh, who else should be showing her face in the hospital, but Trisha Martin. Elizabeth sees Trisha there, but she only sees, like, the back of her first second. Yeah. And since Trisha and Stephen have broken up, she doesn't go talk to her. She does, like, call out to her, though. Oh, that's right. And Trisha yeah. turns around and, like, looks kind of funny. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's all sorts of gossip going around about how Trisha's probably dating another guy. And somebody saw her with Kara a guy. Says, yeah. Kara says, I saw... I think she talked to somebody else who saw the, somebody else. Yeah. yeah at the um at the drugstore. Yeah, she like in his arms. arms. Yeah. yeah. And um Jessica is trying to plot to get Kara and Steven together and she is just like sure that she's going to make this work. Um she says at one point now maybe Steven can find himself a girlfriend from a decent family for a change. Oh, Jesus. And I really think She's like so dead set on like she's just trying to help out Steven. Like that's how she convinced she to what she said yeah. to Elizabeth whenever she is talking about how she's trying to set him up with Kara and Liz is like, Kara's all wrong for Steven. Why are you doing this? Can't you see he's heartbroken? Yeah. And I believe that Jessica thinks that she is trying to do Oh yeah, I do Steven. think I do think she is. But two big things here. One thing, knowing what we now know about the Martin family. Jessica's uh, attitude towards them and how terrible they are starts to feel really callous. Like, bad even for Jessica. Yeah, like, you know... Like, I think... I mean, I had, like, one person I was in school with growing up who 
like was in my grade in school who lost their mom. Like everybody knew about it. Like I grew up in a small town and this is supposed to be in a small town. And like, everyone's going to know about that. Everyone's going to, and whatever happens afterwards, whatever, you know, deterioration of the family happens afterwards. And, uh, a very close friend of mine in high school, his father passed away and like everyone around us knew it. Like everyone around him knew it. Like if the rest of his family had fallen apart or if this, you know, this girl that I went to school with family had fallen apart, even if it's been years later, you'd be like, Oh yeah, well, such a sad story. You know, the the idea that she's so judgmental about it, even though she knows there's this like deeper tragic story, is like even worse. Well, I don't know if Jessica Jessica doesn't know about the tragic. She knows story. about her mom. Oh, that's a good that's point. what I mean. Oh, of course, of course, she does. The whole town would know. About yeah, her death. yeah. It's but but furthermore, putting all that aside. Yeah, Kara Walker is supposed to be her best friend. Is she like that? I wasn't clear yeah. on that. She's. If Jessica knows anything about relationships and, like, rebounds, which you would think she would, she would know that she's setting Kara up for a huge disappointment. And that's exactly what happens. Stephen is really broken up about Trisha, and Jessica takes him to this party at Kara's house that she totally makes up and forces Kara to, like, Yeah, exactly. She she gets, like, Lila and some boy to come, and they're, like, going at it hot and heavy. Um, and Jessica's there with Aaron Dallas. Aaron Dallas, who is very interesting. Yeah, so we don't hear much about Aaron Dallas in this book, but just know uh, and hold in your heads uh, that Jessica goes on several dates with Aaron Dallas in this book. We'll get to it in the bonus episode, I think. Yes. Uh, why that's significant. Yeah. And then Steven shows up uh, with Jessica and Aaron. And Kara's like, ha you know, people couldn't come. Sorry. That's Jessica's basically fortune. I, I was under the impression or anticipating that nobody was going to be there. That, like, she yeah. was going to set it up and it was just going to be the yeah. two of them. That so then when more people, I would have been like, I was like, oh, this is a little bit better. Because I thought it was going to be even worse. That there's, like, some semblance the, of a party. Yeah. There. But when... Stephen hears enough times that Trisha's dating some other guy that, keep in mind, Stephen has no idea that Trisha's sick. Like, no idea. Yeah, yeah. So he hears enough times that Trisha has been seen around town with another guy that he is just like, fuck it. You know, this girl's into me, and he kisses her really hard. And yeah. He dances with her, like, all angry dances with her. But he's thinking yeah. of Trisha the whole time. He starts going out on dates with Kara. So this, yeah. circling back to my point, Jessica sets Kara up for this because she's like, oh, you know what'll be a good idea? I'll get, I've been trying to get, she's been trying to get Kara and Steven together for a long time. Yeah. Even though Kara is 16 and Steven is like 19. Uh, He might be 18. I think he's 18. I think they state that he's 18. Which is not that big of a difference. No. uh, The maturity difference is Well, I think it's more just that like when you're in high school, you think that's like totally chill. But the second you get out of high school, the second you're in college, you're like, oh, no. Like and you wouldn't encourage another person to date somebody still in high school. And it's just kind of that like turnaround of like, is he really like a guy that looks like him and acts like him? Is he going to really turn around and date high yeah. school girls? I definitely know a few exceptions of this in yeah. my life, but in general, yeah. Unless you were already dating when you were both in high school. It's yeah. Really as a college guy to, like, go back to high school to pick up. Do you feel most of them are like, college girls, yeah, this is great. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. But, so, anyway, Jessica's setting Kara up for this, yeah. for this disaster. Um, 
And believe it or not, that's already like most of the book. <laughs> so, uh, but Stephen is really upset. Um, but Kara is in her sexiest outfit, which is a Hawaiian print halter oh dress, to which in my notes I write, is that sexy? Well, what's sexy about it is that he can see uh, her back and that you can see the tan lines from her bikini strap, which is apparently... Okay, but hot, like, who's like, this Hawaiian print is real sexy. Like, I don't feel like that's... Like, I would assume it would have been like, it's her sexiest outfit, which they say, and then later describe her sexiest outfit. And I was like, oh, like, silk dress, like, tight red dress, like, cut out, whatever. No, it's a Hawaiian print halter dress. <laughs> so... Maybe it was the times. Maybe I'm judging it out of context I, of the I think times. It was the times. I yeah. think that's pretty sexy. If you think of like '80s movies, like I can totally see the, the like lead character in an '80s movie with her hair all huge and big, yeah, and a sexy Hawaiian print halter dress. Yeah, or even like if you kind of dig into like Beverly Hills 90210, like the earlier stuff that yeah, were like still kind of in there. Yeah, you could picture yeah. Kelly in one of those. Oh yeah, D- Donna definitely. Donna, yeah. Donna like like Br- like Brenda wouldn't have no, worn Brenda that. No, have no, no. But Donna would have definitely worn but that. But I don't think Lila Fowler would wear a Hawaiian print halter dress either. So no, no, no. Uh, so anyway, coming around to it, this is the big moment now where I think that the author should have revealed the big twist that Trisha had cancer and was dying. Yeah. Now. Uh, because Elizabeth is just doing her rounds. She walks into a room, and who should be there but Trisha Martin. And under the fluorescent lights, it's like, without her big bulky sweaters on, like, how could you fail to see how, like, blue her skin looked and how sallow and gaunt Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which is, like, true. Like, how could you not have noticed that? Yeah. But Trisha has no choice now but to kind of, like, confess everything to Elizabeth. And... There's this weird moment where the book says, like, Elizabeth really admired Trisha, but she also knew that what Trisha was doing was wrong. Horribly wrong. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, such, a, yeah, that's such a trope, just, like, the, uh, you know, the misunderstanding, the, like, I'm going to keep this insane secret I should not be keeping, and I know I should not be keeping. I guess I, we haven't even really made it explicit at this point. Trisha's idea, you've probably gotten here already, but Trisha's idea is that she can't tell Stephen because it will be horrible for him to learn that she is dying. And what will be better will be for him to find out that she was dying after she's dead. Mm. And uh, it won't hurt as much because he'll be over her. It's so fucked up that I want to shake her. Yeah, I mean, it's... And it's also... Not even, I was going to say borderline, but it's not even borderline. Like, it's fully unfortunate that she thinks so little of herself and his affections for her that she thinks he'll just get over her and get over, and like, even that he would get over their breakup that easily. And then for her to think that he would get over her death that easily is like yeah. sweetheart like it's really sad whoa it's like she so she swears Elizabeth the secrecy mm-hmm. but she also is like I'm glad you know now Liz because now after yeah. I die you can tell him that Ugh. I loved him all along what a and weight like, to put on Elizabeth too yeah, and on poor Stephen like and on herself I mean it's like I get what she, I get where she's coming from in a way like yeah she I want understand that yeah to put 
she knows how much it, she actually says this. She knows how much it hurt when her mother died. She yeah. doesn't want to put Stephen through that same like grief process. Mm-hmm. But you can't hide from that grief. Like yeah. Now all like all that's happening. Like once once Trish is gone, she's gone. Like she Stephen can't talk to her and tell her how he really felt. Like yeah. all of that weight of the things left unsaid. That's what she's leaving for Stephen. Not to get all serious again, but it's just yeah. like, this if if. I have something serious to say in this podcast. The thing that comes up time and time again is this idea that if you have something to say to a loved one, you need to say it. Do yeah. not assume that something else is going on that you don't know about yeah. without talking to them. Yeah. Because it's the thing that causes a problem every single book is these assumptions about what other people are probably thinking or probably feeling. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how, like, far I want to go into this, but, like, to a much smaller degree, um, when I was, like, 18, I had a health scare. And it was something that was very, potentially extremely serious. And eventually, you know, they were able to treat it with medication and everything was fine. But at the time, there was this long limbo of something very serious could potentially be wrong with you and this is what we think it might be and it's not good and so then I was kind of on you know a lesser to a lesser degree but on like Trisha's side of like trying to decide like who am I gonna tell I started thinking about like who could handle it and like well I don't think this person could handle it and so I'm not gonna tell them and I think this person will handle it, so I am going to tell them. And then you also just never know how people are going to handle it. And some people surprise you, and some people don't, and some people disappoint you. But I remember telling one person, like, oh, I'm not going to tell this other person because I don't think they can handle it. And they're like, how dare you? Like, you they, like give them the chance to handle it. Let Like, you don't know, and and just, like, give them the chance to deal with it. Um, like, don't shut them out. And that's the whole of this book is her just not even giving him the opportunity to deal with it or, you know, any of that. You hit the nail on the head when you say that also what a terrible burden for her to put on Mm -hmm. Elizabeth. And it is a really hard burden. Elizabeth is, like, moping through school. Yeah. You know, her friend Enid sees her and... Enid is like, oh no, did something happen with Todd? Yeah. Last time I saw you this upset. No. Uh, And no, and she tells Enid, like, I have a secret, and it's not my secret. And this I actually thought was a really good lesson. Like, a lot of, there are so many bad lessons that teenagers can glean from these books. No, yeah. But I think that there's a really good lesson in here in the way that Enid. I wrote down the exact quote she says, though, because I thought it was a little, uh, blatant and ridiculous where she says what's wrong and she says i can't it's a secret and i promised i wouldn't tell like why say that (laughs) like why say like then that's just begging to be told well apparently she knows enid well enough to know that enid won't pry and the book i thought was so sweet um in saying verbatim Enid was far too discreet to pry. She only nodded in sympathy. She knew what it was like to have secrets. And that was what friendship was all about. Understanding and trusting, even when you didn't know all the facts. Yeah, which is good. That's great, yeah. That's so sweet. But then Enid goes on. It sounds like too much responsibility for one person. I think you need to talk to someone. Someone older. Can you tell your parents? Liz says, 
No, they're too close. Oh, Enid, how can I tell anyone? I promised. Enid slipped an arm around Elizabeth's trembling shoulders. I see what this is doing to you, Liz. You've got to tell somebody. Elizabeth sensed that Enid was right, but she still remained uncertain. Who, she wondered, who can I tell? And that's the end yeah. of the chapter, which brings us to a segment of the podcast that is new, and I'm so excited. Yeah. Collins Watch 2018. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. I knew, like, who could she tell who? Who yeah. could it be? Oh, an older person that she can confide also, in? Also, yeah, again, the, as you've discussed on previous podcasts, the idea of the, again, the trope of the hot teacher-student yeah. relationship, which... I mean, I think you can, again, track through almost every major TV teen drama had that storyline. And it wasn't until very recently, and I think you can pinpoint exactly if you're a fan, which last TV teen drama did that in which people went, no, it's not okay anymore. It's not hot. I don't want any of it. And, like, I'm... Just, you know. Riverdale? Yes. <laughs> okay. I think Riverdale is the tipping point, which was that I think Pretty Little Liars was kind of the teen drama well, right before. Creek well, no, that's what I, like all of them did it. Like all, nearly all of them did the storyline. In Dawson's Creek, it was actually kind of like. Oh, oh it was, was like hot and salacious. <laughs> yeah. Um, I never thought about Dawson's that. Creek did it. But, uh, but let's be clear, you know. Let's be clear here. Uh, Mr. Collins isn't having sex with anybody. No, no, no. Um, but it, I just felt yeah. that that Ezra Fitz yeah. vibe coming from him <laughs> well, strongly. It's, it's funny though because literally, it's the, this chapter ends. Who can I turn to? Who? And I'm like, yeah. she can turn to Mr. Collins. There you turn go. the page. Next chapter, she's talking to Mr. Collins. Yeah. And there's there. So, Katie, you don't know this because you haven't heard it yet, but in the last book, Mr. Collins was accused of sexually assaulting a no. visiting teenager. Did he do it? No. And we knew he didn't do it. She was a liar. She was a bad bitch. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Oh. But I was going to say, there is an episode of Veronica Mars about the exact same thing. That came up in the Yes! My yes! Guess. Adam Scott! Yes. Adam yes. Scott plays the teacher. My guest, Sinead, uh, brought up that exact yes. same thing. Yes! Veronica Mars. So, it's another recommendation. We're going to be best friends now. <laughs> so, does that come up at all in this book? Uh, no. no. When did Mr. Collins no. get I have his no damn, idea. damn job back uh, at the high school? No, it Not seemed sure. super chill. Nobody seemed to have Nobody any problems with him. And in fact, Mr. Collins, um, the man who has just been accused of sexually assaulting a teenager, falsely accused, but mm-hmm. still, that those things tend to stick with you. Uh, when he senses that there's something wrong with Elizabeth, says uh, to John Pfeiffer, who comes to talk to him, be with you in a minute, John. Liz and I are going up to my office. Hold the fort until we get back, will you? He, to Elizabeth, he said, there's something I want to talk to you about. It's probably better if we do it in private. Yeah, and also, she, so obviously she spills everything to him about what's going on with Trisha, and that Trisha has leukemia, and it's you know, all of this stuff that's been weighing on her, and she's like sobbing, and it like basically tells you that she's sobbing in his arms and he's holding her and whatever. And this, again, this is like, this may seem extreme to some people or whatever, but as the child of two public school teachers, like, teachers aren't supposed to touch children. And I don't mean, like, in a, like, a legal way. I mean, like, they're not supposed to hug them. They're not supposed to, like, because it's just, like, any chance of any, like, kind of construed wrongdoing, which just tells you, like, how different the times are. I think, the t- yeah. I think we can chalk this out of the yeah. times a lot. But also the fact that uh, these books 
don't care at all that Mr. Collins is sexy and is an object of sexual attention. Yeah. Like, they pointed out Because it was time. made very clear yeah. to me that he was totally on the up and up. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad. Yeah. I, I support Mr. Collins, and that's what Collins yeah. Watch 2018 is all about. Not just uh, defending Mr. Collins, but me opening my own eyes to the possibly predatory uh, things, things that yes. be construed that Mr. Collins does. Yes. Um, so, uh, before we close up the the plot here, maybe we should circle back to Beeline. Yes, so the... Super fun. The Jeremy, the, Jeremy you know, Drake, uh, the local TV host that Jessica is obsessed with and in love with and is creeping on in the hospital as a candy striper, even though he is a 25-year-old man. First thing she does is she goes to talk to him, and she is going to sign his cast because he doesn't need anything. Elizabeth's oh, but because he's in the hospital for a long period of time for a broken leg. Yeah, he, but he's in traction. Uh, when she signs his leg, she, like, falls on him and fucks up his traction. Yeah. And, like, really hurts him. And then she, like, a nurse comes and she's And then she pours cold water on him when she tries again. Yeah, she comes back the next time and clears things up and pours cold water on him. Yeah. And he hollers in pain. Yeah. So Elizabeth and Jeremy come up with a scheme. Which is awful, by the way. (laughs) It's awful on levels of, like, like, Elizabeth, like, you're better than this. I have a feeling that the author of this book had to, like, go back and make Jessica say more terrible things about the Martin family and be more of a bitch in the book, just so that maybe readers would not mind so much how terrible it is. Also, I wasn't necessarily under the impression that it was fully Elizabeth's idea and that Elizabeth was just, like, Jessica always wants what she can't have. Yeah. And when she can't have somebody, she becomes disinterested in them. And that was that's the main point of right. this entire, As, the she, crux of this entire thing. And you know, Jessica likes the chase. Exactly. So as soon as she gets the sense that uh, the guy she's chasing is into her and mm-hmm. will, like, give in to her, she loses interest. Elizabeth is, picks this up. Do we know that Elizabeth told him to do exactly what he did? Or did he so. go off the rails I, with it. I think that that might have been his own invention. That's what I think so, too. Tell us. So what does Jeremy do to poor uh, Jessica? He proposes! Yeah. Like, the third or fourth time they have ever spoken to each other. Yeah. He tells her that he wants to marry her. And Which she runs away. is insane. Like, they've had, like, four words exchanged. Mm-hmm. They haven't kissed. They know nothing about the other person. And Jessica's just like, oh my god, this is great! Like, well, whoa. No, initially, yeah. initially Jessica is like, holy shit, what? And she's like, I, I'm sorry, I gotta go, no. But she still likes the idea of him yeah. doing this. Like, she's like, well, I'm 16, I can't get married, and that's horrifying, but like, oh yes, of course that's he would want to marry me. Comes, yeah. She doesn't think he, she doesn't think like, oh, he must be crazy. She's just like, right. oh, I had no idea that I had cast a spell over <laughs> Oh, like, yeah. I guess it makes sense that he would love me so much. And you know what? I will accept his proposal. She tells Elizabeth that. Ugh. And Elizabeth, who, like, knows what Jeremy was up to. They had a whole code language. They were calling yeah. her a hurricane. Because uh, she is a human hurricane. <laughs> um, Elizabeth is like, oh, Jessica, you can't marry Jeremy. And Jessica's like, oh, I'm not going to marry him. I'm just going to accept his proposal. Yeah. Which is kind of like a ball I move from Jessica. Like, she's calling his bluff, but also she's insane. So she goes to the hospital and accepts his proposal, and he's like, uh, he starts laughing at her. Yeah, he's he's kind of 
not a great guy because in the book, like after he proposes and she freaks and she runs out of the room, it's like they describe him as like laughing in a sinister manner and kind of like almost like tapping his fingers together. Like, look what I did. Also like what a fucking idiot. This girl, she's all she's done to this man is hurt him. Yeah. Already in the hospital. I mean, just like delusional, like, like, but it is also, a teenager thing. Like, a teenager would see how that would track in a weird way a grown adult wouldn't. Like, they'd just be like, oh, well, I'm super into him and he wants me, so I'm just, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, you know? This is the same person who says at some point to Kara about Steven, Kara, just dress up really sexy and nature will take care of the rest. Yeah, yeah, that's not... Of course, Jessica ends up not really being fully wrong. Which, I mean... It's not about Kara's sexy dress. It's about Steven being but that's to gonna work for you in like feelings. a purely physical way yeah. but it's not gonna work for like if Kara wants something real genuine emotional relationship yeah. it's not gonna work oh and we didn't even mention how Kara and Steven go to this college party together and Ugh. um she's really like trying to be so sexy coming on yeah and this other guy comes up to <laughs> Steven uh, and is like oh is this the girl you've been telling me so is much this about? Trisha yeah and calls her like oh Trisha it's so nice to meet you and Kara's like uh no. Yeah. But anyway, Kara's like, if we're going to be in a relationship together, you need to stop thinking about Trisha. And Steven's like, relationship? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was like, I'm sorry. Have they gone on like one date to her yeah. party and that's it? Yeah. I was not clear on how much time had passed. Well, I think it was a little while because they mentioned something about the amount of time of like Elizabeth sitting with her secret about Trisha. Oh, that's true. And I think Stephen she only... sat with it for like a, maybe they said like a month or so or something. Really? Well, I want to say maybe, so yeah. But Stephen also only comes home on the weekend, so how many times could they have seen each other? And, but then at one point when they're doing the dialogue about the party, it's like a weeknight and he's home doing homework and I was like, he's in college. Mm. What? Because she says to him like, the party's on Friday or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. True. And I'm like, that's weird. He's in college. <laughs> well, anyway, all of our like opening our hearts and pouring them into yeah. the sound waves uh, has made us run super long, so we might as well wrap up the tale by saying that Elizabeth, on the advice of Mr. Yeah. Collins, who's like, you need to trust your instincts here. If you really think that Trisha is making a mistake by keeping this a secret, and you really think you need to tell your brother, then I think you need to tell your brother. And she tells Stephen, she says, Trisha's going to be so mad at me um, because I, she swore me to secrecy, but Stephen, of course, you know, is... Uh, wants to know. I mean, yeah, yeah, him, and he's he devastated. Marsha, Martian's house. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> Martian's house. Yeah, and yeah, and she tells him, and they're they're uh, her telling him is just like unbelievably just like mushy and romantic and uh, just fantastical and epic romance type. Um, she says, you know, I. That he'll just get past it, and he says, "I could never be free of loving you." And um, she, they mention her describing that she um, like wants Stephen again because she wants to like feel the warmth of his love, and she'll never be warm again. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Oh, and she explains that the man in the 
in the drugstore, she, like, basically fainted yeah. and he yeah. caught her. Yeah. Which I kind of had a feeling that's what happened. Yeah, Although I've read this a, book before, so maybe I yeah. <laughs> And the, I'll never stop loving you even when you're gone. Like, oh, wow, that's yeah. just This book does beautiful. a lot of, like, a forever. Oh, like, like I, uh, I love you forever. Uh, yeah. And, like, Trisha hasn't had a new definition of what forever meant. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, this chapter it's extremely ends. epic. I love you, she whispered once again. Don't ever forget that. Stephen knew he wouldn't. Part of Trisha would stay with him for the rest of his life. I'm sure oh, that's true. Her love is like the wind. A lot to remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. He couldn't see it, but he could always feel it. It's, this book was probably a major influence on A Walk to Remember. Nicholas Sparks, man. He mm-hmm. was probably just sitting around reading Sweet Valley High books mm-hmm. and was like, I am going to take off on this. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there is, now that we've, we've gotten through all that, there is another big element oh. of the story uh, that comes up, uh, kind of closes things out in Chapter 15. Oh, and in order to talk about God. it, we need to uh, adjourn to the section of the podcast where we talk about boys. Oh, I don't want to ruin it with this. Boys are beautiful boys. I'm in danger of losing my head. Okay, so there are some good boys to talk about yes. in this, in yes. this book. Um, I want to talk about Stephen Wakefield a little bit. Also, I'm a big fan of this section. I love it when the little song plays and they're like, it's time for the boys talk. So, you know, as a fan of the podcast, I'm very excited about oh, this. Oh, well, thank you very yeah. much. I love it, too. Yeah. Thanks, Jocelyn. Sorry I had that song on repeat stuck in my head, like, one day this week. Like, I was trying to go to sleep and I was, like, walking around my house and I was just like, boys, boys. Well, you should listen to the entire album. It's called A Witty Girl and it is on the internet. Yeah. Maybe Spotify or something? I don't (laughs) know. Apple Music, Spotify. Yeah, sure. Wherever you want. Early on, Stephen is described and he's like, you know, Stephen is like very sexy, Mm -hmm. 18-year-old. Yeah. And um, we learn that the shadow of a two-day beard darkened his handsome square cut. Yeah. Do do like a lot of high school guys have beards? You know, when I was in, he's in college. That's true. But I remember, I actually do remember being a freshman in college and like looking around like a month into school, looking around my human class and being like, oh yeah, these boys don't have their moms around to tell them to shave anymore. Or also like like, they're men that can grow beards. Yeah. And I was like very into the fact that I just like <laughs> I mean that sounds like just no, like I'm that's just not like what I was thinking when I was in this class they well, all scraggly I just felt like none of the boys that I was in high school with or like all of the guys that I was in high school with especially my grade like I was legitimately attracted to none of them and I was just like you're just all boys like you're just boys this is slightly off topic but force metaphor, metaphor. Yeah, yeah. only like a little bit later Jessica says to Steven You've been walking around here every weekend looking like Dracula's leftovers. Yeah, that's such a weird thing to say. <laughs> um, she also kisses him a couple times, like Jessica, Jessica does. Is Steven? Yeah, I mean, not on the mouth, but like they just—that's like a weird, um, like you know, thing that. I don't know. Like, I would have never been, like, to my brother, like, oh, because they said she passionately kisses Stephen on the cheek. Yeah, they use that word. And I was like, what? How do you passionately kiss? They mentioned several times that people in the Wakefield family kissing each other in different, like, iterations. And I get it's, like, on the cheek, on the forehead, on the whatever. And I was like, um, I feel I wasn't going around kissing each other all the time. Um, Also, at one point when... Uh, Todd is talking to Elizabeth. He tweaks her nose. 
right before oh. saying something really serious. And he's saying, like, you're too like sensitive the, for your own good. And yeah. Keeps her nose. And I'm just like, Todd, that's not a good look. Todd is, does, Todd is pretty good. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up was that I was, like, super into the Todd character. I mean, obviously, Todd is supposed to be, like, the picturesque, you know, high school boyfriend. But I just, you know, and I look at him and think, like, oh, just, you know, Pacey Witter from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> like, I think, like, oh, he he seems to be, like, like, I just kind of likened their relationship to kind of the way that they played out yeah. the, like, Joey and Pacey relationship. So you think Todd's the one that's having sex with Mr. Collins? <laughs> oh, that's true. No, 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 no. no, no. But, but, you know, Todd doesn't play but the, the, the like, a little much. bit of, like, the humor, the, like... That's true. The I, kind of like like he would do that kind of stuff. The, the like tweaking your nose and like you let things get to you too much. And, so yeah. One weird thing with this book, you know, they go into such detail about describing how everyone looks. Mm -hmm. But the book says of Stephen that he is six feet plus. Yeah. So plus what? We don't know how. Is six he just plus like seven? a chill six, six feet, or is 25? he six seven? And you're like, good lord, Navin. And then later on. Uh, we find out that Todd is also described as being over six feet. Like, it doesn't say... His Everyone's over just, six like, feet, over six feet. Much over. Everyone looks like water polo players, you know? Oh, it says about six feet. Todd was oh. such a kidder. His sense of humor was one of the things she loved best about him. Yeah, man. Plus about six feet of muscle topped by wavy brown hair and a brilliant yeah. white smile. They have the perfect about relationship, though. though. About six feet. Todd and Elizabeth have the perfect relationship. Okay. They're Joey and Pacey. Well, um, so then there is one more guy that we got to talk about. Oh, no, there's two more guys. One is uh, the father of the Morrow family. I didn't realize this, but apparently he used to play professional football. Oh, yeah, that's right. So that's just a note for the, everybody. Note that down in, yeah. your, in your character notebook. And Jeremy, of course. Um, I feel like we talked a lot Jeremy? about Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy Frank. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Frank, of he's, course. Yeah, he's sexy, broken leg man. Yeah. Um... And then there's Carl. Oh, God. Carl the Orderly. I was under a very different impression about what was going on, well, by the describe way. Describe to the listeners what's going so, on. So, when Elizabeth is doing her, you know, dutiful candy striper work, she sees this orderly that kind of gives her a chill every time she sees him. And she, like, thinks maybe... I get the impression she, like, even maybe recognizes him or something. Mm. And um, she just feels like it's important, like, when she sees him and he kind of, like, locks on to her that she kind of thinks it's important. But she's just generally, like, she's Elizabeth, and she's nice to him, and she's friendly. Not in an overly over-the-top way, just like a, oh, thanks, you know, here she you go. bad for him. Um, yeah. He's described as being short and husky, about 25, with a hawkish nose and the darkest eyes Elizabeth had ever seen. Yeah, I was under an, a different impression about what his involvement might have been, being that she was in the hospital for, like, six months. She She's um definitely seen... Oh, okay. So like I thought, like, before. maybe he knew her from before, and she's not remembering him, yeah. and that's why she's like, I should know him, but I don't. That would have been much more interesting. Instead, yeah. he's just a creepy guy, and it's so sad because, like, he finally, there is a male character in Sweet Valley who's, like... He's a little husky. He's not super handsome. Yeah. And of course he has to be the biggest creep. Oh, uh, God. Like, the word creep is used to describe him or creepy, a creepy yeah. feeling. Yeah. Like, almost every time he comes up. Yeah. And every time it seems very, like, like out of the blue. Like, mm -hmm. he just happens to be there again. And then... 
I guess we can wrap around to the the end of the book. I just deep sigh, unless you, you know, didn't hear me. Elizabeth goes to the hospital to pick up her uniform or to drop it off or something. I'm not sure. And then um, Carl, the janitor, meets her in the parking lot. And he, dun-dun-dun, he kidnaps her. He throws her in a van that has a mattress in it, and he tells her, this is the only way that I can be with you forever. And, to, you know, just tack on the end there, he, as do all kidnappers, it seemingly for a very long time in movies and TV shows, he covers her mouth with a rag that has chloroform on it, and she goes unconscious. Because that's what you do in movies and TV shows. Um, But as a, you know, weirdo that I am, I knew that that was kind of a myth that was debunked a while ago in film and TV show that, like, you can't actually do that. (laughs) If you, like, chloroform someone, you have to, like, you would have to hold it on to their face for a solid five minutes before they would pass out. And then you have to regularly, like, keep a steady stream of, like, poisoning them with chloroform in order to keep them unconscious. So you can't just, like, they're not just going to inhale it and then pass out. That's not how chloroform works in, like, a real medical way. So let's just debunk that right now. Uh, yeah. So he chloroforms her, and, you know, dun-dun-dun. Mm-hmm. Book 13. A beautiful boys, a beautiful boys, a beautiful boys. So, yeah, that's this book. That's Sweet Valley High number Jessica 12. Jessica goes on his TV show. Oh, right. Jessica goes on Jeremy Frank's show because she fe- he feels bad for, for punking her. Yeah, which, yeah. He should. He should. But we don't really get to see what also, she does. Also, what the fuck does Jessica talk about? If she's going to be interviewed on TV, like, normally you're promoting something or you're doing something. What is Jessica talking about you know, on this, this talk show? this book was pretty short. They really would have had time to let us watch Jessica on the show, but they didn't. Or at least have her say one measly line about, like, what she's going to talk about. Yeah. Because I was like, what is this girl going to talk about? What is the show even about? They didn't want to go into it. They didn't want to have to figure out what the show was about. I could accept he just has a talk show, but I need her to, I need to know, like, what is this girl going to talk about? Like, I was like, Elizabeth could talk about stuff. I feel like Elizabeth could get on there and talk about the Oracle, the (laughs) school newspaper that she's on, or her, you know, commitment to candy striping, which she is very committed to, and just, you know, being a good person. And I feel like Jessica would just get on there and be like, I'm going to be a famous actress, and I'm fabulous. She, I'm, could, uh. she could talk about boys and how to woo them. She could talk about fashions. Uh, she could talk about hanging out at the beach. How to manipulate people. Mm, she could. She should yeah. have a show about how to manipulate That's people. True. People would watch that. Exactly. Well, let me ask you a serious question. Is it what I think it is? Probably. Yeah. Are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? Ooh, so every time you ask that and I hear that thing, I'm like, no one's ever going to admit that they're a Jessica. Like, why would you admit? Has anyone ever admitted to being a Jessica? Yes. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. So my thing would be that I'm, when I was reading this, I was like, as a listener, I was always like, oh, of course I identify with Elizabeth more. But that was just listening to the podcast. And when I read the book, I was like, oh. Yeah, no, I'm, like, half Jessica, because... Um, Tell me more. Not of the, like, 
her just insane shallowness and manipulation of people, but her dramatics. Yeah, okay. Her, like, I think she, like, at one point, like, stubs her, like, she hurts herself in, like, a very small way in the book at some point, and she kind of walks and is like, I'm bleeding, I'm dying, oh my god. And Mm -hmm. she, like, flaps herself on the bed and, like, goes to her, like, her sister and her parents and her, um, and her brother and is very much just like, oh my god, you'll never guess, Uh," and I was like, oh no, that's me. That's totally (laughs) me. I think you're, I would say you're probably pretty good combo of of various qualities. Yeah. Uh, most of the time when people say they're a Jessica, that's what comes... It's usually something like, I feel like I want to say I'm Elizabeth, but if I'm being honest, yeah, I'm more of a Jessica. Yeah, and I know ways. I don't have the Elizabeth... Like, the the idea that she's just, like, kind of, like, grace and quiet persona, you know, personified, and I know that I'm not any of Well, Elizabeth is actually, um, has, is a little bit more awesome in this book than she sometimes is. She was great. I love the, the stupid party, fake party that her sister set up. She was like, yeah, no, I'm not coming to that. I'm not going to help with your crazy. There's this awesome moment where uh, Caroline Pierce uh, comes up to Elizabeth and starts telling her the rumors that she's heard about Trisha Martin. And Elizabeth just shuts Caroline down. She's so over it. Okay, so we can do a dramatic reenactment. Caroline just comes up to Elizabeth uh, and starts you know, asking her questions. Caroline is an infamous gossip, worse than Kara, mm-hmm. uh, as listeners may remember from past books, including the very first one, where Caroline... Yeah, it's somehow a great match for Stephen, is according to... No, no, that's Kara. Oh, that's Kara. I know, it's so stupid <sighs> that they made these two gossips almost the same character. That's ridiculous. But uh, Caroline is worse than Kara as a gossip, and much less popular as well. So oh, well, there's that sin. How dare she? So you be Caroline, and I'll be Elizabeth. I saw you talking to Trisha Martin out on the lawn last week. Did she say anything about her new boyfriend? I don't know what you're talking about. She probably just didn't want to tell you because of Steven. Lila said he looked older, so maybe he's a friend of Steven's. Hey, wouldn't that be something? Elizabeth turned to give Caroline a cold look. It's all a bunch of dumb gossip. Blame it on Lila. She's the one who started it. She said she saw them together. I don't believe it. I don't see why not. Trisha's a Martin, after all. I wouldn't put anything past a Martin, including going out with her boyfriend's friend behind his back. This was too much for Elizabeth. Bristling, she confronted Caroline. For someone who talks a lot, you don't know very much, she snapped, leaving Caroline to gape after her in open-mouthed astonishment as she stalked off. (laughs) That's good gaping, but I just appreciated that. For someone who talks so much, you should don't know very much. Also, that is definitely not a thing that anyone has ever said to me, ever. <laughs> or it's a thing that gets said to me all the time, because I talk a lot. But you're not a gossip. No, but I do like some juice every once in a while. <laughs> I am like, ooh, there's drama? Tell me of the drama. Well, we're going to get into some more talk in the extra drama episode of the podcast. But for now, I want to thank my guest, Katie Ledoux. Thank you so much, Katie. I also want to thank Jocelyn Schofield for the use of the song, Beautiful Boys, that everybody loves. Go listen to A Witty Girl and her other albums. Thanks to you for listening. Um, It would be super helpful at this point. I'm going to start telling you guys to do the thing that all podcast hosts Mm -hmm. tell their listeners to do, where they give me like a nice rating and a nice review and tell your friends on Apple Podcasts especially, but really like anywhere you want to give me a review, if you want to make a Yelp entry for me and review me there, you want to write me some comments on uh, sweetvalleydiaries.net. iTunes. 
Uh, iTunes is the main th- main place. Yeah, yeah that you would yeah. write the review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do that, and um, I would love you to do for doing that. Uh, I want uh, to bring more people into the fold. I know you're yeah. out there, Sweet Valley. High I know fans. that Linda Ledoux is listening to this. Hi, Linda. Right now. <laughs> Will Elizabeth be saved? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 13. Kidnapped. So does that make me Miss America? That's a horrible hairdo. I mean, should I talk louder than what I'm just going to do this? or? I think you should because I feel like you're going to get louder than that. Oh, because I'm going to get like, well, this yeah. is whatever. Yeah, you, have, I'm you a, have a set of pipes on you, Kate. I'm loud. <laughs> I'm biologically loud. I've spent most of my life listening to my mother tell my father, like, you're yelling. <laughs> We're in a restaurant. You're yelling. <laughs>